0: Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission.
1: Hi, it's Don Johnson here with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. In this edition, we are offering a fascinating interview with Dr. Mark Stuckey, focusing on his frontline article, the ethics of death. Dr. Stuckey is eminently qualified to discuss this subject and I think you will find the interview very interesting. Dr. Stuckey's article appeared in our January-February edition of Frontline on Biblical cho- Council for Medical Choices. Future editions of Frontline will address other timely topics. We encourage you to subscribe. If you buy a subscription to our Substack, you will be able to read Dr. Stuckey's article right away. And if you buy an annual subscription, we will include a copy of the print magazine as well. Without further ado then, here's my interview with Dr. Stuckey. All right, well, I want to welcome Mark Stuckey with us, and uh, we're glad to uh, be connecting. We've uh, actually recorded this once before, or no, <laughs> we did the interview once before. We didn't record. Now, we are both commiserating and dating each other on our old age. <laughs> and and uh, that, we're going to blame it on that because it surely wasn't anything to do with us.
0: <laughs> Correct.
1: Okay. Well, it was un- wasn't anything to do with Mark. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, Mark, why don't you just give us your background? I know from the article in Frontline, it says you're an anesthesiologist, which is a big, long word. And you can tell us what all that means and how you got there.
0: Um, well, I uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I became a Christian at age 14. Um, I, uh, initially went to college, got a degree in microbiology and was actually teaching, uh, high school at, uh, Fourth Baptist Christian School, uh, for a couple of years. One of the, my co-teachers applied to medical school and said, why don't you give it a try? You had thought about it before. And, uh, I was working on an advanced degree at the time. So I went to, I applied and, and, uh, the Lord directed me into med- medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh, finished in 1987, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, initially tracked in surgery, but uh, decided that, that um, and that was a seven-year residency at the time, and decided that um, uh, anesthesiology was kind of the best route for me. Right. So I did my uh, training at Emory and in, in, in Atlanta,
1: right?
0: And uh, I did some extra training in ICU, and uh, that was the time when I began to wrestle with the issues of, um, certainly medicine had some specific ideas as to what to do in some very difficult situations, life and death situations, but what does the Bible really say about those life and death situations, what should I be doing? And so um, it, um, I wrestled with that for several years, mm-hmm. um, searching the scripture, talking to people, um, Reading many, many textbooks, both secular and theological, to, to come to the conclusions that, uh, the Bible had many things to say about this, uh, and was speaking to the issues. And, uh, and so, um, uh, from there, I, I had, uh, I taught a course at Central Seminary on medical ethics, uh, several times. And, uh, and so these things are, are, uh, near and dear to my heart because i struggled with them mightily mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time right. so that's one of the things that led me to when dr bowder requested asked me if i would write the, the, the article i said yes of course yeah
1: yeah of course yeah so yeah the title of your article is the ethics of death and when we talked previously you told a story about uh, a situation where you were put into a Uh, awkward uh, dilemma with respect to a transplant uh, operation. Maybe you could tell us that story and then that would lead us into the uh, discussion a little bit more.
0: Well, certainly, um, you know, decades or millennia ago, when somebody stopped breathing or their heart stopped beating, that was the definition of death. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, certainly as science has advanced, um, certainly around the the uh, the wars that this country has fought many advances have, have occurred in in what we call resuscitation or keep, keeping people alive um who've been severely traumatized uh well that changed the discussion and so um in uh, so this is a little bit of background in 1980 there was uh a, a, a presidential council um I'm trying to remember. At any rate, there was a, a presidential council that decided to to change the definitions of death, which included not only stopping breathing but and the heart stopping, but also that the whole brain was dead, and it's it was caused called uh, brain death, mm-hmm. uh, and hence that contributed a lot to the the uh, transplantation of organs when somebody is mm-hmm. considered brain death brain dead they they are dead um and it's permissible ethically permissible to harvest their organs um well that has changed over a period of time and mm-hmm. uh so i was an, uh, uh heavily involved in the organ transplantation program at the university of minnesota from the anesthesiologist perspective and i got a call one evening when i was on call from the head of liver transplant team and he said mark there's somebody we need to um, do a liver transplant on. I said, fine. He gave me the name. I started to get prepared for that. <clears throat> and then I got a call a little bit of time later and said, uh, there's somebody else in the operating room that I need you to take care of. And I was a little bit puzzled. And I thought, what is this about? Um, and he said, well, we're bringing a hospice patient down to the operating room Um and we're going to allow that patient to die, we're going to withdraw his medicines, we're going to allow him to die and then we're going to harvest his organs. Mm. And um and I said um uh I I don't think that that's correct. I said I'm not going to do that. Um I'm a physician. I've committed to life. I've committed to preserving life and and that would be uh, not only against my my medical principles, but my 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 faith and and the principles that are in the Word of God, and I said I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to talk to some of the other anesthesiologists in the in the operating room, and uh, so I had gathered them all together ahead of time, and I said this is the dilemma. And uh, I was surprised every one of those people, there was about seven other, seven other anesthesiologists in the office at the time, and every one of them refused to do so. Mm-hmm. They, again, affirmed the fact, at least from a medical perspective, that they were there to preserve life, not to take it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that, and I, you can see how uh, somebody who doesn't have the, the same commitment, you can see the rationale. Well, this guy is dying anyway.
0: So, it along, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And and that's the unfortunate thing that as as because medicine really has no anchor or mooring, whatever is permissible, it's become, in a sense, de facto, whatever is permissible is ethical. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk to some of the medical ethicists around the country, uh, they will say. That the ethical um, uh, thinking of these issues has has fallen far behind the medical reality, mm. uh, and that science is essentially un- un- outrun their ethical moorings. Wow that that's quite a that's quite a
1: it's quite a statement, isn't it? Because essentially, you know, it's it's a triumph of materialism over. Spiritual, uh, any kind of spirituality it doesn't matter what religion, really, in that sense.
0: This is true, um, and um, and so really, what according to medicine, and and it's not stated, but practically, it's what is permissible or what is possible is ethical. Yeah, and so you yeah. can think up whatever you want to do, um, yeah. and if it's possibly medically, then it's that it's ethically possible.
1: Right, right. Well, it's interesting as, you know, thinking to your article, you started off with with philosophy, you know, and and talking somewhat about going even back to the ancients and but essentially what philosophers do are they ask questions but they don't come up with answers.
0: No, they really can't come up with. Them. I mean, philosophy is good in that it does give you a structure in which to ask questions. Yeah, and that in in that sense, that is good. Um, but I don't again, as I've read philosophy over the years, because I've I've read a lot of philosophy in connection with my uh, my ethical searching. That philosophy really doesn't have any answers. Yeah, they may have some good questions or or well framed questions, yeah. but there are really no
1: answers. Yeah, and that would be because of there there's no mooring. It's just like you know, yes. science now has no mooring and so philosophy really has nothing to hold on to. Unless the philosopher yes. is holding on to the Bible as a start as a presupposition, I
0: guess. Really. As a presupposition, yes, as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And and so so really when you come to the ethics of death, the only place that I can determine after searching a lot is that the, the scripture as the answers to the questions that we ask. That's right. Yeah, you
1: um, you had said in the article you well you'd mentioned this Act of Congress and you know the name of it.
0: Uniform, uh, it, uniform Determination of Death Act. The
1: Uniform Determination of Death Act, and it and basically there and that's where you mentioned that it brought in and you already mentioned this that it brought in the idea of brain death. Yes. But Then in our discussion last week, we uh, we talked about. That that is, uh, research is showing that this brain death is. How do you determine this? Because sometimes there's actual, clearly mental activity happening when somebody is in this comatose or whatever. I don't know what the right terms are. This state, yeah. anyway.
0: I, I think you have to make a def a a, 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 um, a distinction between somebody who's in the in under the old termination uh, determination. Persistent vegetative state, right. that was a term coined by Ronald Cranford here at Hennepin County Medical Center, which um, uh, is almost everywhere now. Right. Uh, the di- differentiation between a persistent vegetative state and somebody who's truly brain dead. Okay. Um, yeah. um, now, there, I guess, and I recently talked to a um, uh, an intensivist, one that I've been practicing with, and and he said they've changed the the terminology now even a little bit more and they've called it death by neurologic criteria. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, in uh, in uh,
1: some cases, uh, even though somebody is not responsive and there's no. Um, uh, outward sign, I guess, that they have run tests showing that they respond to voices or to music or things of this <clears same throat> nature?
0: Yes, there are some scans that can be done that demonstrate that that person is still thinking. Okay. Um, whereas in brain death, the criteria are are, are, are fairly, <clears throat> they're not completely, I mean, we we can't say anything with absolute certainty in this life. From a human perspective, because of our incomplete knowledge. Um, but certainly, if somebody fits the, the major criteria for death by neurologic criteria, the new yeah. term, um, that they will not recover, that there's That's no right. chance that they will recover.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that that is, that also brings up the question. I suppose if you're one caring for, uh, you know, a relative, family member, Who's in a state like this, you know, you may choose to, you know, not, you know, make them comfortable, but not have any intervention. And that is often a, you know, you see families making those type of choices. And what do you think about that?
0: Well, again, I think it depends on what the medical realities are in in a sense um if there really isn't because cuz that's one of the other things that I discussed is um because there's some discussion now surrounding death by neural or the old term brain death um that that some people are turning to this concept of what's called futi- medical futility okay uh, in the fact that no matter what treatments you would engage in that there's little to no chance and again we, we can never say anything with absolute certainty because we don't have that kind of knowledge or power that God has. Right. But within the realm of our ability to know uh, that all the treatments that we know to do will not do anything to really prolong your life. Right. They just prolong the dying process.
1: Yeah. So somebody might live another few months or a few weeks, but they're, you know, they're they're not going to survive the whole experience. That becomes a...
0: They're not going to survive the whole experience. And so at, at that point in time, I, I think it's permissible for somebody to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in many senses what you're doing at that point in time is you're bowing to the sovereignty of God. Right. Um, the fact that God is the one that really holds the keys to life and death. Yeah. He is the one that's created us, mm-hmm. redeemed us, but but really is sovereign over our lives, that's and right. so he's he's the one that determines when those things happen, mm-hmm. and and through what we can glean from what's what's going on around us, the medical realities, the the uh, counsel that we're getting from people who know the scripture. Um, uh, God will give us that answer and 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 we'll know that at that point in time uh, it, it's okay not to do anything more because there isn't anything more possible to do to prolong life. It really right. is just prolonging attempting to prolong the dying process
1: right right so, and so so they uh you know for a christian. You had mentioned something in the article, you know, we got into the biblical perspective. Well, first of all, of course, uh, that's why I guess for, uh, the biblical perspective gives us the reasons why uh, we are having discussions like this, because we actually believe that life is sacred. Yes. Given by God. Yes. And so, uh, so. I think i I have a note here I think this is just my summary of what you said that the biblical definition of death really is death occurs when the soul leaves the body yes yes so so what we're trying to determine in terms of the choices we make as you know surviving caregivers I guess is the way to say it is uh you know how what do we do what do we do to determine that that has happened or I guess we're we're really resting if somebody's you know, they're very elderly, and they just come to a point, they stop breathing, and there's no, you know, they're just not resuscitating and so forth, and you sort of know this is it. But yes. if you've got somebody in an accident, a trauma, and they're otherwise had been healthy, but now we're in a bad situation, that's where we're wrestling with it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, cer- certainly that that's a, that's a difficult situation. But again, um depending on the trauma and what has happened, there's a, there's certain things. There are certain things that physicians can do in order to a, a co- attempt to accomplish resuscitation. Mm-hmm. And and those uh, things that they can do are not limitless. Right. Um, and they don't have complete and utter, what we call efficacy or ability to reverse a situation. Mm-hmm. And so you engage those things initially, um, uh, with with the proviso in mind that whatever you do may not be successful, and and usually those resuscitation techniques <clears throat> have have I guess for lack of a better term a finite finiteness to them. Right. In other words, I will attempt a resuscitation on somebody for a certain period of time knowing that if my efforts aren't successful within that certain period of time to restore heartbeat and some kind of respiration and those types of things that the likelihood my ability even if i continued to to affect that mm-hmm. becomes almost zero right yeah um and so there are medical limits and physicians have a sense of that that mm-hmm. there are times when well everything that we're doing is just not working right and so at that point in time again it would be i think within your uh the right thing to do is to say it's time to stop
1: stop intervening yeah yes yeah yeah because and and i guess i guess where it uh, like we had we talked about the famous case with Terry Shavo Chavo Yes, downtown. very shy yes. of Florida. And, um, this was the difficulty was that she had, she was breathing, she was, her heart was beating, uh, her, she wasn't responding. And there was an argument between the family members about who, well, who had the authority and then who, and whether or not there was any hope of resuscitation. I guess that was what the argument was about.
0: Well, it wasn't really resuscitation per se. Okay. Sure. Really the argument was around because all she needed was food and fluids. Right. She was and in fact, many times a feeding tube is placed only for convenience right. um in these patients. Um and Terry shaibo and, and others like her, um, that was done. And so the the family was petitioning to to withdraw food and fluids mm-hmm. from her. Um, and allowing her to die, um, not preserving her life because they felt her life was, quote, not worth living. Okay. Um, it, it wasn't that she was in a, a resuscitation because if you'd taken the feeding tube out and bothered to feed her, and it's slow, mm-hmm. and it's it's methodical, but mm-hmm. you can feed somebody like that, and those reflexes that of swallow, And digestion are all intact. Okay, um, that person will continue to exist for as long as you provide them with the basic necessities. Right, Um, right. So in the Terry Schiavo situation, that was that was different.
1: Okay, Um,
0: and again, we found even though they haven't responded outwardly, that those people like her are actually still there.
1: Right, and so that's where you're talking about somebody who's really not. They're
0: not brain dead as
1: such. They're- yes.
0: No. Yeah. They're in, in the old term was um, persistent vegetative state. Now, there's been many iterations of what what to name it. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, permanently comatose. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, not respond. I mean, there's, a, again, a number of terms. And I don't know that anybody's come to any satisfactory terms as to right. describe that particular situation.
1: All right. That's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the, the that's where then the decision would be. You I guess that decision would be much more open and shut from a Christian perspective.
0: Yes, um, as far as food and fluids. Now, yeah. if she developed a cancer that was very aggressive, now that would that would change the discussion a bit. Right. 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 Now, would you try chemotherapy? Yeah, you probably would. But for only a, a certain period of time mm-hmm. uh, to see, is this going to be successful or not? Yeah,
1: will it work or not?
0: Uh, will it work or not? Would be like if they developed a pneumonia. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah not, and
1: often somebody in a, in a bedridden state would, just because of their lying flat and not uh, proper yeah. movement, would, would easily develop a pneumonia.
0: Yes, And then and and usually they develop and those people usually develop kind of uh, pneumonias with strange organisms that that tend not that tend not to be very responsive to to antibiotics. Right. But you would try a course of antibiotics and, you know, and given a reasonable period of time. And if it failed, then you would say, well, we've engaged in as much as we know to do. And in that situation. It would be okay not to treat anymore, right? Because you know you have a reasonable expectation that no matter what you do, that that person is going to to end up passing away and he's right. going to end up dying,
1: right? Yeah, it's okay. And then I suppose if the if a person is let's turn the question around. That I we mentioned I mentioned my mother's situation some many years ago, actually twenty twenty one years ago. She had uh, colon cancer, and uh, they had operated, and they felt they'd got everything, but they wanted her to, I forget which, either the chemo or the radiation as a follow-up. It's
0: probably chemotherapy for colon right. cancer.
1: And so she, so she refused to have that because, you know, when in discussing it with the doctors, she found that without the treatment, she would have a 50-50 chance of living another five years and with the treatment she'd have a 60/40 and she said she decided I'm not going to go through that for 10% and uh she <laughs> lived she lived until last year till she was 98 from yeah and so so the question there that i have is as an individual you know what about the ethics of for yourself what, making a choice about treatment and should you take it or not and how do you you know, like often you hear, fight, fight, fight.
0: You know, like you always fight. Well, do you? Well, again, I think, I, I think certainly the the what the Bible says about life and death um, certainly plays a large role here. We're not supposed to cling to life as if it were the most precious thing in the world, um, because it says in the Scripture, it's appointed on the man once to die. Mm-hmm. um uh, and um certainly, unless the Lord comes, it's something that we cannot avoid right. um, um and but is it the final chapter uh, in our lives well-, well obviously not right. um, you know in a number of scriptures um uh Paul talks about the resurrection um of the body um mm-hmm. to rejoin. The immaterial, the spiritual part of that person, to make mm-hmm. them whole again, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, you know, we eventually will be resurrected to live with our Savior forever, um, and living in light of that reality um, s- certainly, I think, gives us pause when when we're uh, if if it it seems as if we're trying to cling to every last shred of this earthly life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I, I don't think in in many senses that that's God honoring either. On the other mm-hmm. hand, um, God is the God of life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so if there is a, again, this is vague, but if there's a reasonable chance that that this may preserve your life, um, you just never know what God has for you in the future, as far as how you may impact somebody for eternity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you just don't know, and and again, we don't we don't know the future. But I think there is a, a an expectation that we will, within our limited knowledge, that we will attempt to preserve our life if it's possible. Right. Um, you know, I'm not talking about, oh, well, there's a one in a million chance if you take this particular <laughs> treatment that that, you know, that that you may end up living for a while longer. Yeah, I don't you know, again, when I think of that, then I think, you know, and it's somewhat extreme, but it's still that you're grasping at at this earthly life as if that's all there is. Right. Right, and that's not what God says, right, so a little bit of perspective,
1: and then of course, you have to take into account all the wisdom of advice from doctors and other people that can help you with these type of things
0: yes and and you know, and the bible says there's a there's a there's wisdom in in a multitude of in in a, yeah. in a group of counselors, and yeah people that can give you wise counsel um mm-hmm. And that can come from many perspectives yes. um, but certainly yeah. it begins with your pastors and the people in the church mm-hmm. that um, that have proven to be godly and and um, are thinking biblically and and thinking rightly and um and then certainly um god has promised that he would never forsake us mm-hmm. um, he's given us the holy spirit mm-hmm. and i do believe that he will direct you um in these certain circumstances that again tend to be somewhat vague at times to to the to the proper answer to the to yeah. the right answer
1: yeah i know that we we have to glean our wisdom from the scriptures and from other brothers and sisters who know the lord and uh and i'm reminded like in the bible you know sometimes we think they had a you know abraham or whoever had a direct pipeline to god but you know, they only saw God every so often. They didn't see him, yes. you know, every right. day, kind of thing. Yes.
0: So and, they had to and, make
1: decisions based on uh, what they knew.
0: Yes, and Abraham walked by faith. Yeah. That's what it says in Hebrews, of all those heroes of the Old Testament. Yeah. walking by faith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had less light than we did, and they made it. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So he, even though things look differently or present differently i don't think that there's any really new ethical dilemmas uh in a christian's life it just appears to be so at times
1: that's right absolutely it's it's um, the same questions in a new
0: guise yes oh. correct so anyway and I, uh, I believe god will give you the answers yeah if you diligently speaking
1: yeah. yeah i think we talked about palliative care uh last time when we were talking earlier and and that's a, you know, as somebody is, uh, you know, obviously they're, get if they're older or else they got cancer or they got something, they know that the end is relatively near. Uh, the question is, what, you know, are there things that, that, uh, families and patients would insist on, even though the medical profession might be, you know, Prepared to give up, or to, you know, I don't know. Is there are there questions in that area?
0: Well, you know, I mean, hospice um, ha- has evolved over the years, and um, and and it, and it's changed somewhat in its in its perspective. Although I I still think it's. Um, uh, you know, at its core, it's caring for those people who are in the process of dying, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and so I, I think we're still obligated, and we were sp- supposed to bear one another one another's burdens when we're when we're going through suffering and trials, and certainly um, the process of dying or the end of life is is one of the last trials that we go through and I, I do believe that that um it it's it's good and it's wise to to engage in those things that help to palliate that or to alleviate that suffering. Right. Um, and it can occur you know it can be anything from morphine to to other other medications that may help. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you know we we had talked about the p- people in the persistent vegetative state you know people who are in, in kind of that not kind of who are in that active phase of of the end of life when they're aged or dying of cancer or whatever they naturally stop eating and drinking right um, and, and that's almost to 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 any physician that has had any experience at all that usually is a signpost mm-hmm. that that the end is not too far away. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and at that point in time, I think it would be ethical not to force them to drink or eat. Right. Uh, because essentially their bodies are telling them that things are shutting down and things yeah. are. We don't need it anymore. That yeah. We- and it's,
1: it's one thing if they're willing to take food yeah, or even, yes. even if they're not able to communicate, but you, you try to feed them. And they'll feed them. It.
0: Yeah. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm.
1: But yep. but if they if they just simply turn away and don't or they're or you know stop swallowing and that well then you know
0: that they that the process is progressing yeah and and that soon whether you can de- determine the exact time or not that soon their spirit is going to leave their body yeah and their body is going to begin to return to the earth from which it yeah. came
1: yeah I, I we've noticed that in our ministry with you know. Folks who are in the hospital, that there, there comes a point when they just sort of, they're just not interested in in taking no. in food. right, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. They begin to
1: shut down, yeah. yeah, and so so that that becomes well, it's a that's the time then is to to comfort and to pray and to, you know, minister to the spirit.
0: At that yes, point. be yeah. present. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I I think of Job in the midst of his suffering, you know the. The uh, the the best uh, the the one that did the best was the one that just sat with him, didn't say yes. anything necessarily all the time. That's right. Just sat with him and commiserated with him, and yeah, and basically just helped to bear his burden. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and and certainly, you know, I mean, certainly quoting scripture and. And uh, singing hymns, and I think those things are, are very comforting to somebody who has lived a life dedicated to the Savior, dedicated to That's Jesus right. Christ. Amen. Um, uh, and, but many times it's just being present. Right. You know that, that, that you're there. Right. Uh, we're relational people.
1: Absolutely, uh, for sure. You know, we, uh, I didn't ask you this, which I had meant to ask you. I, I think I asked you last time. Was there something that you would have liked to have been able to add to the article that wasn't, uh, maybe you didn't have space for? Or, or...
0: Well, you know, I, I I guess I would have um, liked to talk a little bit more about hospice and organ transplantation, uh, you know, the... It, it, some of those issues are a little more convoluted, um, and a little more difficult. Um, and there, I think there's a bit much more to say about them. Uh, um, all I would say is that I think Christians need to be circumspect when they're in those situations. Mm-hmm. They need to ask questions, mm-hmm. um, and many questions, as many questions as you can. Think of or be counseled to to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Because, in some sense, hospice can be good, but hospice can also be bad. Um, They're using some place, I mean, in some areas, especially like major medical centers, they're using hospice as essentially a cloak for euthanasia at times. Yes. Yeah. um, To withdraw treatment that's still reasonable, but the person's just tired of living or they don't yes. want to struggle anymore or so they want to withdraw their medicines. Yeah. So hospice is a cover for, it's not palliative care. It's yeah. essentially it's, withdrawing care to, to allow them to die. Yeah. Well,
1: here in, here in our country, they're uh, in Canada. They're, they call it made. I think medical medically assisted something. Anyway, uh,
0: MAID and medical assistance or aid in uh, dying. medical
1: assistance and dying. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, are, so I, we've heard stories, uh, of people who are simply depressed.
0: Yes. And right. then
1: they're, they're, somebody says, well, why don't you just end it? Yes. Right. And, and here in this country, it's legal for medical people to say that. And, and, and they, all, and in some cases, Entirely shut the family out. They won't let them even talk to their family.
0: right? Yes, yeah.
1: That's pretty horrific.
0: So, so there's a lot of a a lot of nuance, a lot of nuances and discussion there that we could have. Mm -hmm. Certainly in in organ transplantation too, because I think there are times when it's permissible. Mm -hmm. There are times when it isn't. Right. Um, and and those situations can be described and and biblical principles applied at at, at certain points. Um, unfortunately, those those discussions would be articles. Yes, and, and more in and of themselves.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. And maybe in the future that would be you know that. Would yeah, be maybe
1: involved. maybe we should have you come back and write another one on that. Uh, or, you you know, two. Know.
0: <laughs> or two, or, yes, or two, or three.
1: Yes, all right. Well, very good. I, I really appreciate your time and uh, being able to go through all this uh, discussion. It's certainly a topic that is we we do need to pay attention to as Christians.
0: Yes, and I hope that uh, discuss our discuss that within our families.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I hope our viewers will read the article and will subscribe to Frontline, and uh, we will uh, we will hope to bring you more stuff like this in the future. Thank you very much, uh, Mark. We really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you, Pastor. It's been a a blessing. Okay. Thanks much. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.